Hey everyone, welcome back to Free Shipping, and I'm your host, Matthias. Today in the show, we have a guest that is stepping away from our D2C and e-commerce conversations and into the entrepreneurial world of wine. Tom has been working in the wine industry for 15 years and is co-owner of Beattie and Roberts Imports and Cadet, which is a wine bar on Chacoutier in Newington Green of London. Today, you'll hear and learn about how Tom has found his passion in wine, his relationship he fosters with winemakers, how COVID helped him grow his import business, to him opening up Cadet with his business partners. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, Tom, thanks for thanks for taking the time to be here today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. How's uh, how's the week been so far? Uh, it's been good. You know, it's early early start to us. Um, I tend to sort of split my time uh, between between today and 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 the Beating Roberts import side of things. So the Monday to Wednesdays or Monday to Thursday tends to be a little bit more of a focus on the import side of things. Um, so talking to uh, the winemakers that we work with in France, Spain, Italy and France, um, uh, the people we sell to over here and making sure that like this, just the proper communications, uh, you know, on, on all channels. So just managing the Instagram, the, the, the medias and just client clients as well. So I guess that's, that, 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 that tends to take up the early part. Monday, Monday is a bit of our sort of strategic planning day, I guess. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. And yeah, that's something, I mean, I'm keen. I, I love that during this conversation, I kind of get a two for one per se on two different businesses that you've set up and we'll, we'll dig into. Yeah. Um, and how I think they've, they've really well, stayed separate, but at the same time come together as well, yeah. which is pretty special. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they are both quite complementary to each other. You know, I'm not sort of like we we're not really trying to branch out for the, for the purpose of, of of branching out. It's 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 sort of they are complementary. We talk about wine, and we 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 sort of believe that that, that wine should go with with good food. So it's it's sort of how how both of them came along. Nice. So. For everyone kind of listening, before we delve into a bit around the businesses and stuff, I think it's always important to try to, in a short amount of time, let them get to know you a little bit. Um, yep. I'm sure people can hear that, you know, you don't sound like you're English. I'm not either. I think Australia <laughs> originally is home. Um, but how long have you been in the UK now for? Uh, good question. I, I came to the UK in at the, the end of 2016. Um, so what's that? That's coming up to, to sort of six, seven years now. So, you know, I guess it's quite, quite a bit of time. Yeah. And what initially kind of brought you, brought you over? I, I was finishing my, my wine studies, uh, and I came over here to be a little bit closer to Europe, um, and to sort of get a better understanding, visit more, more regions, spend time with, with, uh, more professionals in the UK as well, uh, just to learn, to learn more about wine. Um, and from that, I sort of, it, it, it wasn't so much well, initially what I thought when I moved over here was that I was going to come and learn, learn from, from, uh, sommeliers and wine people in the UK. Um, but what I found was it just gave me such 
fantastic access to Europe. So I would spend you know, every weekend, every second weekend visiting different wine regions. Um, and I just find, you know, like, like anything going direct to the source and being able to sort of walk through the vineyards, ask the winemaker, uh, you know, specific questions is, is just the best way to learn, you know, especially in wine. Um, you know, you can do degrees, you can do all this, but to get just actual experience, um, um, direct from the source is, is, is the best. Yeah. And I think there's probably a lot of things in life that, yeah, if you can kind of, you can study and you can study, but until you're actually doing it or you're witnessing how it's done, you can only learn so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's an element where, where I, you know, I'd I'd sort of done a lot of the, the, the higher degrees in wine education. Um, so I'd already, already done sort of the book smart element of it. And then just to really sort of dive into the practical element was, uh, was, it just made so much more sense. I think it is good to have, have a balance of both. Um, you know, I was you know, trained quite, quite classically. So I think, I think it's that balance is, is very complimentary. Yeah. And I mean, ever since I've known you, um, I feel like you, the, the aura around you is that you're this, you're the wine guy, you know, <laughs> this stuff so much, which I think is amazing. I'm curious where did the passion first come from? And then I think, why do you think you continued on this journey with wine? Like what has been, what has kept it going as a, as an, uh, obviously something you enjoy to drink, but really I think as more of that, it seems like a passion for you. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't, I really, really don't so much view, view, view it as business. Yeah. I, I, you know, used to work in, in, I guess, marketing. I did, you know, business degrees at school and whatnot. But I did grow up in a winemaking family. Um, uh, my dad was a winemaker in the Yarra Valley and still is. He still makes wine there. And he also distributes um, uh, barrels from Burgundy in France throughout Australia. Uh, so I always had a connection um, in wine growing up, obviously doing the harvest, visiting the, visiting the winery with, with, with my dad. But it, uh, that I wouldn't say really is so much where the passion came from. I, I sort of, and you would hope not, you know, at such a young age, but um, uh, it's sort of, it sort of happened a lot, a lot later in, in like sort of my early twenties. Um, after I, after I did the, went to university and I came back and I just, I really did discover wine. Um, initially wanted to be a brewer and then realized uh, wine was, was a bit more my, my passion. So then did my wine degrees, um, uh, spent a lot of time under the, the better sommeliers in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that transitioned over the UK to learn more and then be, be, be close to Europe. So I could, you know, visit the old masters in France and Italy and, and Spain. Um, and that's, that's sort of, that's sort of where, where it came from. It's, yeah, I really would say that. It's, and I still, you know, just still to this day, just, I really do consider it very much a passion element. Like if I didn't, if I didn't have the element of, of a passion for wine and it, I, you know, I would, I would stop. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so as you, so, I mean, it makes sense now hearing that, that your family was in, and that's kind of what gave you the exposure. And yeah. then obviously it, it grew. Um, 
looking back, do you remember you mentioned you want to be closer to Europe and the UK, but you know, given that Australia does have an amazing wine culture around it, I think what, mm. what interested you though, more about European wines relative to maybe staying within Australia and just kind of focusing your time there? Um, oh, I, I, you know, I still speak, a lot of my friends are, are winemakers in Australia. Um, and you know, I still speak to them quite regularly. Um, but I guess there was an element of, of the, the old way and the, I guess we say that the more sort of, it's called the old world in, in when we refer to it as wine, the old world is Europe. Um, and just, you know, we talk about Australia still has decades, hundreds, hundreds of years of experience in wine, but I really liked certain approaches of certain regions and certain winemakers in Italy, in, in France, um, you know, cause they've got thousands of years of experience. And I just find that was just something more exciting, especially when it came to, uh, viticulture and also vinification, but, uh, something which, you know, we see a lot more these days, which even I would say 10 years ago, wasn't the case of organics and, and, you know, less manipulation, um, in the winery. That's, that's what really attracted me. And it was when visiting certain producers and seeing biodiversity in vineyards and, and, um, uh, that's, that's really what, what, what drew me to a specific, um, sub genre of, of, of winemaking. Okay. And that kind of, so, I mean, moving in, so you moved to the UK, you mentioned as well earlier on, that's kind of where I think a lot of your, your journey of where you are now kind of started. Yeah. Um, you've had this focus again, since I've known you around kind of truly organic wine, or mm. maybe you can, you spoke a few things. to what really adds up to organic? Cause I think that yeah. word can mean a lot to some people, Yeah. but, um, your time, I know you worked at places like P Franco, like how did you kind of initially, I guess, get into this world in the UK, uh, to, to where you are now? What did that journey look like? If you were to summarize, uh, initially I was, um, I was going to come over here and work at more, maybe a, a, a classic restaurant, um, in its, in its, in its approach. Um, but then I, I, I came across P Franco, uh, and they gave a certain element of, of freedom of selection. And also they enabled you to travel as well. Um, so you could spend a lot more time visiting winemakers and, you know, just so you're incredibly transparent about what you're communicating to, to customers. Uh, you know, a lot of the winemakers we have visited, we've been in their vineyards. We can tell you if they're healthy or, or, or not. And if, if, you know, there is a certain humble, honest approach to winemaking. Um, and from that, uh, you know, and that was, that was the only job I had. Uh, like, uh, I, I worked there for five years. So, it was only, it was there. And then while I was there, it enabled me to do, uh, Beattie and Roberts. So with my business partner, Francis Roberts, um, it enabled us to travel and visit and start that business. They were very supportive. And then from that in a recent, recent years, open, open Kiday as well. So I think, I think it, it worked great because I, 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 I wasn't moving around and you know, there is, there, there are elements of working in hospitality where it is, it, you know, it's, 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 
people do move around a lot. It's it's a it's a hard industry, but you know to stick in one place and uh, and to be able to give them certain freedoms uh, was was really great. Yeah, and I mean again, I've heard. I remember, and I feel like with getting to know winemakers, you've also housed or um, hosted quite a few winemakers mm. when they come in the country, right? So you yeah. get to know these people not only how they're making their wine, but I feel like you very much get to know them as individuals. And how, like, was that something that just naturally kind of happened when you were within the time at P. Franco? Or how did you get to, to the point of regularly being telling your, your, your partner, we're going to have someone from France come to stay with yeah. us for a few yeah. days? <laughs> no, I think it's really, really important. And you know, like that, that sort of stuff doesn't happen overnight. You know, like when you, you first visit someone, or visit a winemaker, you know, you'll, they're very, very kind. They're very friendly. And you know, uh, you know, you'll taste the wine. You might have a snack, you know, the second time you visit, you might have a meal. And you know, the third time you visit, of course, you always have a bed there. Um, and it's that element of like, uh, uh, building those relationships. And it's, I think it's just, it's, it's really, it's quite, quite beautiful of, of the industry that, that, that you can build these relationships with the winemakers, um, you know, cause we are, we believe in what they do and we are their representation over here and we do like to bring them over. I think it's, it's really important that, that, that customers can hear it from the winemaker themselves and not us. Um, I would always find that's just, you know, I think it's just so, so interesting to have the, a winemaker who has, you know, he's a farmer. They are a farmer, and the work that they've done in the vineyards and in in the winery, you know, they're they're proud of. And you know, for them to be able to talk about their hard work is 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 really great. So we always always like to get them over. It's always it's it's I think it's it's really great. And when you bring them over, speaking on that, like, will they? I guess how how will they kind of spend their time? Is it just who you're sourcing to, then talking yeah. to some of the sellers? Are you bringing them into Cadet at all? Like how, because it sounds almost like uh, you're kind of doing like a roadshow with them to allow them to sh really sh tell their own story. And I think maybe like sell the, not sell the value, but show the value of what they have. Yeah, it depends on the producer. It depends on their wine. Um, you know, some winemakers will come over and we get, we get, tiny quantities of their wine just because they're a tiny domain who don't make that much wine. So from the allocation we get, we can't really do massive big tastings. It might be a dinner with a select few people. Um, but other producers, we, we normally like to split it up in, we do one for trade and one for, um, uh, public customers. So the one for the trade is for the sommeliers to come and taste the wine. And then they decide if they want it for their wine bar, their restaurant, their retail site. And the other event is for uh, the public. So the public can can meet the winemaker directly um, and have an interaction with them, maybe, maybe build a bond. And of course, you build brand image and retention within your market. You know, that's... That's, that's sort of the reality of why you do it. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I sort of, we, we, we tend to try to split it up that way. Also, if, if, if the wine is, is really well received in Edinburgh or Manchester, then we'll make an effort to bring that winemaker to those cities 
um, so they can go there as well. So interesting. The way and that- yeah, but we'll always also yeah, like we load their days. You know, if they're not doing <laughs> if, if they're not doing those trade tastings, then they're we're we're visiting, we're visiting, visiting, visiting. You know, we go go to a new another restaurant, and even if it's you know it's just popping by, saying hello. Um, that's I think that's and it's great. People people really really receive it well. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it's about exposure and getting them that exposure to the different audiences that realistically are going to help them enter that market. And that I think kind of ties back to it. You know, you mentioned it. You have your import business. Um, you're at P. Franco. You're meeting these winemakers. Where did the idea culminate from, or I guess more, how did it culminate? Of like, oh, I'm going to start an import business. Mm. Um, I came actually a chef friend. I always wanted to start to import into the UK because initially, if you're looking purely from the UK or London and you're looking at all the wine shells and, and whatnot, you can probably say, wow, this, everything is imported. We, you know, like we've got no options, but you spend more time in overseas. You spend more time in France and Italy and, and Spain. And then you, you, you really open your eyes to, to, you know, the plethora of producers. So, you know, we visit a lot of, of winemakers. Um, like it's only about, it's a very small amount of that we actually import. We, we do, we do a lot of research, a lot of visiting, tasting and, and, and this, and it's only, it's only sort of a select few that will, will, or, you know, sometimes we'll go on trips and we might not work with anyone. Um, so there is a bit of bit of a selection process, but you know it was it was Francis and um, and myself. He would come into to P Franco, um, and then I found out that he wanted to import as well. And he was running another restaurant, and I was running P Franco. And it 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 sort of came that maybe we could we could do it together, and it just makes it a little bit more manageable. Um, and we both have our strengths. Um, to play to and it's it just enables you to 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 sort of grow and you know like feed ideas off each other and 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 manage it and did it initially start just i guess trying to wrap my head around of like okay we have we know some people that have some great wine we're just gonna we want to try and purchase some and then we'll just and we have existing relationships with other people and it's just building out that network. I, I, I feel like I'm simplifying it, but I'm no, trying to... <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, you probably, it was incredibly simple and it, it, it wasn't thought out at all because, you know, it was just purely like a passion project, you know, and we've developed it into, it's kind of funny because it started off as a passion and then it, you, you sort of, you build a business around that passion. Um, but initially we, uh, like the, the two producers that we first worked with, the first one was Sylvain Bock, based in Ardèche, and then Jean-Louis Pinto Estaki in Limoux. Um, and we, you know, like we approached them and we tasted with them, we visited them. And they're like, oh, who else do you work with? You know, do you import any other winemakers? And we were like, no. You know, it was uh, to a normal, a normal, to someone, you know, they, they had a lot of trust in us to sort of represent them in, 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 in the UK. 
um, and we grew up from there. But it was it's a bit a bit crazy how we I guess how we started, and we only had I think you know a few years. We we really didn't have that many producers. I think we work with around thirty four now. But when we first started, for the first couple of years, it was only three or four, just because we would buy a pallet, sell a pallet, then buy another pallet, sell a pallet. Um, so we couldn't. We, used to very, we didn't really have much capital to sort of put into it. Um, and then COVID happened, yep. and then from that, we that's where we that's where we grew it. Um, that's where we saw that you know we could take us. Well, we you know we weren't doing our hours on the floor at the restaurants we were working at. So, and, but we still wanted to do something else. So, so then we, we, we just put all our energy and focus into that. And then we grew, we grew the import, um, and worked with, uh, about four more producers and, and it grew, grew like a lot faster than previously. And, and did that grow because just more, I guess you were doing something also to like just end customers or just more restaurants were wanting it because everybody was buying more wine at home because we we're all locked inside with nothing to do. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, we, you know, we speak to the winemakers we, we, we work with and it was funny. Every other market, Australia, America, you know, Canada, Japan, all the white, our, our French winemakers would say that they all canceled their orders, but the UK is the only one which is increasing their orders because everyone had a different approach to how to deal with do deal, deal with the pandemic, and it seemed like a lot of um, uh, the UK approach was to drink more. So that that was that was you know sort of good for our business, and um, so we saw we saw we saw one a growth because there was demand, but then also uh, we were we were there like we didn't stop, we didn't you know like take a break we we sort of actually um accelerated and stepped it up so we 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 would still do all our tastings they were obviously they were completely legal what would you know like going around doing tastings um and uh, we would we would still import so so that's sort of uh that's sort of how it how it grew then and then you know we would we just we didn't have to focus on the the hospitality side, so we that's when we sort of I think Fran initially took a bit of a step back from the um, working hospitality and focused more on the import, and then I did, and then we then we sort of focused our, all our time on the import. It's sort of the element you can because it was always just a side project, and if you treat it like a side project, it'll just remain a side project. Um, but then if you say, well, we may as well just go all in, then you sort of have to make it work. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really common trend actually that a lot of people in the show we've heard, um, and just a lot of entrepreneurs is something starts as a passion project. And then eventually I think if it is wrapped around a passion, it will naturally grow. Do you remember at what point yourself personally, where you're kind of like, I think this is like where I should really focus my time. Was it a specific thing or is it just kind of at a point you're like the amount of hours I'm investing in, it just seems like that's the path that I should follow. Uh, no, it was an element where we, we just didn't really, we just didn't really treat it like a business. Um, and you know, we, we, 
we didn't really know exactly. We knew we knew the buying side of things and what to expect from sommeliers and wine buyers and all that. Um, but then we had our other jobs as well. So, you know, we weren't just like 100%, 100% committed. But then there was, there was an element where, where we could say that and I, I think there was a, there was an element where we we probably focused initially on the places that we worked with and our friends, and then there was a point where we were like, okay, maybe we can go visit Manchester and go visit Edinburgh and you know, like actually 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 visit uh, more wine buyers and actually do the do the hard yards of of communicating the the wines that we bring in because you know we. We bring them in because we believe in them. So I think <laughs> I remember initially I was always like uh, when we first started, I would I'd be like, okay, we just brought in wine. We'll send a newsletter out and then I'll just wait. I'll wait for the emails to, to roll in with orders, you know, and it's just like, oh, you know, everyone knows this. Well, I hope people know this producer. They're, they're very sought after in France and around the world. So I just, I expect people to just order them and it's not the case you know you still you 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 still have to you still have to go around and show people and you know and and that's of course and and of course you know that's that should be expected you know it's it's you know so we always try to make the effort with 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 people to if they ever they want to ever they want to taste we can we can go to them um and and vice versa, if ever they're around the area, they can always visit Kid A. So, yeah, I guess to answer your your question, I guess heading into the pandemic, we started to view it more as a more as a viable business. Cool. And you also mentioned too that like you know there you're kind of you know going along. It started as a side project, and there's aspects that you did know, like you knew what to expect out of certain buyers, and there's things that you knew. But a lot of times, there's a lot of unknowns. Like. There's probably a lot, but from memory, does any is does anything specifically stand out as like, wow, I did not expect that, or like, whoa, that was a big learning that you kind of taken just from the import side of the business when you think about it. Um, from the import side of things, we were fortunate that that we that there are a lot of other importers who were incredibly supportive. Um, and communicative with their experience and knowledge that we, we, that we, we made sure we had our bases covered. Um, so that was, that was really great. And, you know, to say that it's, you know, you, some people call it direct competition, but we're, I find we're all quite supportive of each other within, within, uh, bringing in sort of living wines, um, I guess the biggest, I guess the, the, the administration, you know, after Brexit, we're talking about customs, uh, warehousing, uh, logistics, um, just the paperwork of, of, of all of that, um, uh, is, is something which probably needs the most detail, uh, for sure. That was, and, uh, just figuring out the communication within, with, with winemakers is, is probably what we learned the most as well. Just and well, one other thing. Actually, the one thing we made the error on the one, the one. I guess the one big thing. I remember once 
we got all our wine deliveries to come in December because we, we were a bit late to get wine in and, um, and, you know, we just got the wine in, in, you know, the second week of December, you know, I started peddling around on my bike and showing them to rest- restaurants and, and, and wine bars and retailers. And I realized that I was, I was too late and I had, you know, we just bought all this wine and everyone, all the, all the, the carvists and, and, and the restaurants had already made their decisions in November of what wine was going to be there for December. So we were about three weeks too late and that three weeks, you know, if you, if you, if your wine isn't sold in December, you've now got two really slow months where you're going to be sitting on stock of January and February because people either, you know, they, it's, it's a lot lighter either where people in restaurants or people drinking it's, it's drastically decreased. So it means you sit on stock and you've got invoices to pay. And so we've now learned from that, 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 you know, even now in August, we are, we are very specific about planning what wine is to come, you know, when it's meant to come, when we're meant to show it. Um, and then come December, which is the busiest month, we actually pretty much shut shop because if you've done your job properly, it should have been in November. Um, that was that was a hard lesson. Um, we did that once, and I think we've 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 we're we're trying to improve it now. Where we are, yeah. Yeah, it's um, I feel like there's probably lots of other small things, but I, the funny thing is, I'm sure that learning really stuck. And the minute it probably happened too, as you're going through it, did you kind of have this thought in the back of your mind of like, of course it's this way, actually. Or were you kind of were you yeah. actually surprised overall that like it you just couldn't get rid of it? Uh, no, no, we we knew it's just you like the decisions made. Like okay, wine takes, uh, I would say two months to come over, okay. and then it gets arrived in the warehouse, and then it needs to be checked into our our external warehouse, and then you need to get it. And you need to get sent, you need to get photographs, you need to get descriptions for it, you need to get on your website. There's a lot of back end. And if you, you know, you could be in September and think, oh, we've got plenty of time. Whether you don't, you know, you, 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 you know, you need to, you need to move, move reasonably fast. So we just, we missed the lead into it. And then you don't sort of realize until afterwards and you're like, yeah, okay, we've, it's sort of, it's, there are no like massive, like, like slap you in the face sort of lessons. It's just, you realize you're like, okay, yeah, no, that's, this probably should have been different. Yeah. Maybe um, should have been a, a maybe a, I guess a bit more organized, a bit on top of it. Yeah. 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 So it was, it's just a, just a learning curve and it's something which we didn't, we just, we just didn't, didn't, didn't factor in. So, um, we still thought people would, would, maybe purchase but but now yeah now we now we plan differently for it cool and um so from this i mean so you have this import business you started as a side hobby grew into an actual business as you're going through covid and now obviously during covid weird time you wouldn't want to open a restaurant but you know three Mm. years later you've now had kade open for a year a little over a year now right yeah yeah we just passed a year uh a couple of weeks ago amazing 
Um, yeah, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, definitely. You know, like London is for, for hospitality is incredibly difficult and it, it, it was then and it still is now. Um, uh, but we were, we were quite fortunate to meet with, uh, George Jefferson. So he's, uh, very, very talented, um, Chikutia. So dealing with obviously the making of, uh, uh, cured meats, Pétion Crude, Riette, you know, terrines. Um, and it was a joint venture with, with, with George for that. And it just seems to make sense. You know, it's George's, uh, like mastery sort of charcuterie and wine. So you don't really have to sort of delve, think too much that, you know, those things are very complementary of each other. So, um, we, we combined forces and, and, uh, did Kadeh. And for those who don't know what Kadeh is, I think we maybe pieced it together. How would you explain Kadeh to someone though? Um, Kadeh is a, it's a small wine bar on Newington Green. Um, it's, it's, I really love it. It's opposite, opposite the green, so opposite a park. It's, I've always, always, we've always loved to have the idea of a wine bar opposite a park. Um, it's the meeting of a few minds. It's George who does the charcuterie. So he makes all the charcuterie downstairs, gets, um, uh, whole animals delivered, uh, uh, then butchery done downstairs, then makes, makes the, them into terrines and pate on cruise and riette and many other product products. Um, and then in today itself, you've got, uh, uh, Jamie smart, and Julie, who Jamie is the, the the head chef, and he he designs the other half of the menu, or or more so, he 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 designs the menu, factoring in some of George's uh, produce, and then you have our our team as well on the floor. But you know, it's only twenty five seats, uh, so it it still remains quite quite intimate, but. You know, there is the element that is sort of like multifaceted that you've got George making the shoe downstairs, Jamie in uh, the kitchen, and then you've got us with the wine on the floor. Yeah. And what's unique about it is I think if, if we say, if we think, or a lot of people listening, maybe sometimes you hear restaurant and kitchen, you think a very big thing. And I think maybe right now with the bear being this big show around all these restaurants, but mm. at Kadeh, it's, it's a pretty minimalist kitchen in the way that you've set things up, which is quite unique. Like, could you explain kind of how that's done? Yeah. Yeah. We, well, I, you know, I came from P Franco, which was a one person operated, um, kitchen and we've had a bit of experience with this and Jamie smart, our, our chef as well. It's an element of, we, we, to the, to the millimeter designed, um, a, a kitchen space, which is in the room itself. So, you know, the chef is there, you know, just cooking for you. Um, but you can, it's utilizing the space so they don't have to move and that one person is capable of pushing out a certain amount of food. Um, and it's, I, it's, I, I really like that approach, you know, especially in terms of, I like it in terms of the atmosphere of a room. Um, but then you also have to think even of a, a business structure with, with, uh, 
you know, hospitality is difficult and finding staff is difficult. You know, we're very, very fortunate to have an amazing team at, at, at Kidei, but, but we don't, we don't have a big team, you know, we, we, we run a small team. Um, so it also enables you not, not, not to rely on so many different moving parts that it can be done on, uh, you know, it is a small scale, um, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, and, on that, like you mentioned a couple of times, like hospitality is hard. And I think, uh, you know, from the outside in, a lot of people know that. Um, but what what would you say makes it so difficult? Uh, but also on the flip side, where do you think you're finding your success come from? Um, oh, you know, we're, you know, success, we're still obviously working. I, I, I just find it, you know, it's, it's day to day in terms of we always always trying to, to do things better and, and, and definitely fix things. Um, in terms of the hospitality, why it's, why it's difficult, it's, it's definitely multifaceted. The UK doesn't really have a, a I'm not sure, a respect and high regard for, for hospitality as a service. I would say it's not compared to other countries, you know, other people, um, other people would, uh, or oh, other countries, should I say, sorry, uh, maybe view it more as a profession, you know, something that you can do. That's really not the case over here. So um, it's it's really difficult. So when you when you have that that view, you get a lot of people just viewed as something you do when you're in your twenties or this or that. You know, you you wait tables for a short period of time. Um, so it makes it, it it makes it difficult. Also with visas and Brexit. We don't have Europeans coming over here anymore, um, and yeah, yeah. I just we just find it find it find it difficult. But yeah, as I said, we've we've got we've retained hundred percent of our team since we opened. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's just you know it's the, I think the whole approach of treating a restaurant, you know, like all businesses, they like to use the word family. Um, I think I think it's a I think it's a horrible approach, you know. I think, I think families and business don't, you know. It's not really what <laughs> should be, you know. It doesn't really have good connotations. No. <laughs> um, so it's 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 something which you know it's you know if you talk about family and business, it's normally someone's being taken advantage of. So we don't we don't tend to. We just try to be incredibly transparent and honest with with, with people, and you know you need to these days. It's it's very different to hospitality 10 years ago or 15 years ago when, when, when I started. Yeah. Which, I mean, we could delve into for ages. Gotta be curious, but I think I very much align with you that family and business are two separate things. Family, you choose, you know, you're not, sorry, you don't mm. choose who you're with and you're not gonna, you're never going to have to sometimes have very tough conversations with your family all the time, but with yeah, business yeah, yeah. you will. And, and you will sometimes have to make decisions that is right for the business and that might have, you know, for some people, great impact. For others, that might be hard. Um, and yeah. I think as long as you're doing it with transparency and with respect, there will still be some things that are difficult. But you're very much, I think, right. The running them, running a business as a family, is tricky. But running, but running a business with deep respect for everyone in their role and at their job and their craft within the business, that is how mm. I think it should, everyone should be thinking about it. Well, it should be. I think I like the someone said the analogy of 
as you you know you shouldn't you shouldn't talk business like a family it should be talking it as as a sports team or a sports player you know it's your end goal is is obviously to benefit the team but also you're looking out for your contract um you know if you're injured you won't play um and you know you are are looking out to get that to get that 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 element of you know a, a nice some money contract so I think that's that's good that you look out for yourself, but you're you're also looking out for the the team. Yeah, very much so. Um, just kind of wrapping up on Kadeh because I realized I wanted we kind of jumped ahead. I was just curious, how did you end up meeting yeah. your business partners? Like, how did you get this amalgamation of a great, I mean, a charcuterie specialist of yours of uh, that you have yourself, yeah. who's so focused on these specific wines, a great chef. Um, obviously, all things that come together make something incredible. But how did yeah. you're from the same industries? But how did you actually meet these individuals yeah. and decide we're gonna invest together to make this reality? It was um, we were doing an event at P Franco, so we had one of our winemakers over um, from Domaine Foncipré in Corbière, and we were doing a, a launch of their new arrivals, their new vintage, and part of that was to do a special menu, and the special menu was. Um, sausage and terrine which george had made and george was uh with us uh and he came uh, obviously to taste and he he saw the in terms of the atmosphere of the room and the energy and obviously how we ran the events and you know with that sort of years experience doing doing sort of hospitality that that it just seemed to be a good match um, and he, he, he approached us and said, you know, he'd been talking to, um, a landlord about a new site coming up. And then, then that's sort of how we got involved, um, from there. So it was, you know, not too sort of organic, but it, it was, it was quite natural in terms of, in terms of how it was, how it was matched up. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, yeah. God, so I think it is funny how sometimes things like, obviously you had, you were in the same spheres and the same sort of stuff, but. For him just to naturally come in and experience the way that you ran yeah. something for him at the same time to be finding the space and just kind of being like proposing the idea. What do you think about this? And I remember yeah. when you first had a conversation, just hearing over, I think it was a dinner a few years ago, like you're thinking about this thing opening and then eventually it's all happened and now it's been a, over a yeah. year. And so I guess as we're kind of like wrapping up, what's, what's on like the, the, roadmap for today is it stay the same is it just diversify a little bit like how what are you thinking about are you in all are you on all the partners um at the moment we're 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 pretty set on just you know we 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 want to make there's still work to be done on today um we are incredibly fortunate to have the team that we have um so we're still head down on that um, so that is, is, is our focus. There might be things in the future, um, for sure, but we just obviously need to make sure that, like, you know, we're not really up for massive diversification or, you know, like multiple upon multiple sites or this or that. It's, it's, we don't, that's really not what we, we want to do. We just want to, we want to do something good and of a certain quality and integrity um, so that involves not rushing anything and just really focusing on what we've got in front of us. You know, we're very fortunate, uh, with, with, I think, you know, the luck and the people we work with at, at Kaday, 
that that of of what's happened so far, but we can we can definitely still still sort of uh, better it. And it's you know just heading into Christmas and you know the Novembers, the Decembers is 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 I guess what we'll focus on at the moment. You know it is, and I've said it like a few times, but hospitality taking out taking on sites and all that kind of stuff is it's daunting. You know it's not so much businesses opening, but businesses closing. You know, so it's you. You really, you really need to make sure that 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 you are in a good position before doing anything else. And you know, I guess you know the, the real the real only reason we've only be able to do today with such integrity that it's that it's also had other businesses to lean on. Um, you know, whether it be you know the shukuri business or the the import business. Um, yeah. So at the moment, we're just where where we are just sort of focus of what we've got yeah no i think it is amazing how you kind of can no yeah i guess leverage these different businesses to add up to again this amalgamation of what today is um but and they all are feeding on each other to some extent they're all benefiting from one another um and I, it feels like as well very much a big sense of where a lot of your own success has come from is that part of what you've built is community around you it's not just about being mm. the best person and alienating those around you. You really want to make sure that the relationships and the people that, you know, you source from and others, you're like, you're keeping those bridges always intact and really strong as well. Yeah. I think I don't, I don't really like the idea of competition within an industry. I, especially with what we do, you know, where, you know, with the wines that we work with of, good viticulture and good vinification living wines it's a it's a it, it even in itself it's a subsection of the wine industry so you know our our we can see more uh more of these styles of wines and then being supported properly if it's not us from other people it's great you know if they're if they're they're getting it out to people it's really good and that's really what you know the end the end goal is 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 you know, really trying to make a change in, in, in viticulture within the wine industry. So we'll always, always be supportive of other people sort of, um, of doing that. And it's just, it's just seems to be more beneficial to, to take that approach than, you know, life's too short to, to, to do the other way. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think we've, we've had a few people I've spoken to that share a very similar view on, on life. And I think it is important and also view on how they run business, but, um, Kind of last question for you at, that I ask every single person is now when you retire, whether that might be on a beach in Australia, maybe it's going to be in the mountains, mm. really wherever the ideal place is for you to retire. Um, when you look back, like, what do you think you'll be happy with? Like, what will achievement have looked like? And you go, damn, that was uh, I feel like I did a, a pretty good job. And I, I know you're a humble guy, but like, what would make you proud yourself? Mm. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I say like a balance of life, you know, for it to be a balance of family and work. Um, and I guess also just making, you know, especially with the domains and winemakers that we work with, that it is, you know, a lot of them are sort of lifelong. You know that that I, I I you know I hope that when I when I look back that that I still have really 
good and great and great friends and relationships with, with everyone that we work with. I think mainly, yeah, I don't really, that's, that's really, yeah, I think that'd be it really. Yeah. It's a good one. I mean, I think if they say, if you just, if you strip away somebody of everything they have, really the only thing that's left is there are relationships. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think it's a really important thing to call out, but, um, but Tom really appreciate you taking the time again. Um, I think learned a lot from it as a really great insight. And, uh, for anyone who's in the London area, definitely look up Kaday. I have been, it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, but definitely get there early. I don't know if you guys do reservations. We don't, we're walking only, but then we do, um, you can, uh, we have a, a walk up app where we just take your name and number and then you can go to a pub or something. And then we send you a text message when your table's ready. Okay. So it's not yet. Yeah, there's a perception of it being always busy and impossible, but it's actually not true. We always, we, we always, uh, we always find a table for everyone. I know that's true. And I'd say to anyone, it is definitely worth the wait, but now appreciate, appreciate the time again. And that was Tom Beattie of Beattie and Roberts Imports and Kaday. As mentioned, this was a slightly different conversation away from the direct-to-consumer and e-commerce brands and agencies that we've spoken to, but the entrepreneurial themes still stand here. Uh, you have an individual who's very passionate about something, in this case, wine. They have an idea that they or with friends started out, which is the import business. And in time, these ideas grow. And now with other partners has started out an incredible wine bar in London today. Um, so entrepreneurship and these journeys can stem in various places. Um, and I'm very happy that we could highlight this one here today. If you are in the London area, I'd highly recommend checking out Kaday in Newington Green. It's a very special place with some incredible charcuterie and incredible wine. Um, within the description of this uh, episode, I'll make sure to link out their Instagram and also uh, their website to both the import business and Kaday. But thank you for listening. And until next time, this is Matthias with Free Shipping. <laughs>